welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, welcome to episode 82 of the Office 365 Podcast. Richard, how's your week been? It's been good, man. 82. Were you even born in 82? Jeremy? I was 81, man. Oh, nice. So you're like, you're like a little infant. When were you born? Everyone thinks you're a lot younger than you really are, right? 1970-something. We'll just leave it at that. Wow, you're old, dude. Yes. That's that's shocking. Well, you know, we, we need some elderly people on the show, so. Hey, when people call you Richard, do you think you're in trouble? You know, if someone calls me Jeremy Michael, I'm like, oh, what have I done? Did you even pick up on that? Well, some people actually call me Richard, just like normally. Rich is... I don't know. Some people call me Rich. Some people call me Richard. Go with any derivative you want, I guess. So what have you been doing this week? Oh, busy. Just lots of things going on. We have Tech Ready next week. So doing some preparation for Tech Ready, which is our big internal Microsoft conference we do twice a year. Doing some interesting things around WAPI. Uh, Again, doing the office online integration for hosts so we have a the cloud storage provider programs have been doing some things with that but staying busy how about you we have our internal tech ready conference next week which is all of our field guys mcs microsoft consultant services pfe premier field engineers and dx which is your lot the developer experience teams and so uh we i've got like 15 sessions that I'm the track chair for and just doing content reviews with all the engineers that will be kind of showing what they've been working on, working like practice run-throughs of what we'll actually present at build basically. And the field are really good. They're, they're, they're very blunt. Like they, they just get to the point very quickly. And um, so it's a good exercise for us to test new messaging before we go and do it at build or any of the other events we've got coming up in the future. So that's been a bit of fun. And then we also have uh, the SharePoint Dev Kitchen, which is where a bunch of partners will come up and play with some of the new stuff we're working on around the extensibility model in SharePoint. So I'm really excited about that stuff. And I'm probably more excited to get it out publicly as well and get feedback at a broader audience too. But um, yeah, it'll be fun next week with all the partners getting that feedback and having them build stuff on it. And um, yeah, we'll have a bunch of fun next week. I'm going to be busy. Well, it's been a busy week too, you know. Uh we had a few quiet weeks there during the holidays, but you can tell the holidays are over. The activity in the blogosphere has certainly picked up. Yeah, we've got some big ones this week. The uh, We just missed with our podcast recording last week that SharePoint Server 2016 and Project Server 2016 release candidates are available. The Beta 2 was out in November, or Beta 2, depending on where you are in the world. And it was saying over 5,000 customers have downloaded the previews to date and given feedback, which is really, really impressive. I think the big thing for developers is there is a consistent developer story here. There's an additional set of APIs and experience that were originally available in SharePoint Online, which are now available in the SharePoint Server 2016 RC. So um, certainly go and check that out if you're a server customer. Um, You know, it it is interesting that, you know, there's different customers that will crest the wave of not going out on this when it RTMs and waiting for the first service pack before kind of pushing this into their environments. But I think those things are changing a little bit because there are some significant new things in in the SharePoint user experience just inside team sites that have been in SharePoint Online for so long. And it's amazing, uh, this stuff that we're doing with the kitchen next week, 
I had to spin up a quick 2013 environment and I'd forgotten about the user experience in 2013 and how different it is to, to 2016 because I've been using it so, so long in, in SharePoint Online because at Microsoft we're, we're always dog food in the latest and greatest in Office 365. So I think there's a lot of benefit for customers moving to that latest experience and, you know, getting to play with the RC and, and then preparing your business for when the RTM comes out, I think is really important. Yeah, it's uh, exciting to see it finally Getting close to fully official and blessed. And um, we had another uh, little announcement there with um, the monthly digest, which I put together and kind of chase a bunch of people within the organization of what new stuff we've had out, whether it's Facer with PNP, like tell me the five most important things that's happened in PNP in the month, because there's a lot going on in PNP and, and we wrap that up. We link off to all of the posts that we've mentioned in the podcast for the month um, and upcoming events, but we also do things like linking off to the most updated code samples and any new key areas of de- dev documentation like the change log in the graph um, and um, all of the kind of doc updates there. So keep in touch with that dev uh, monthly digest because it's a good way of kind of understanding where we're at for for that month if you don't want to kind of keep up with the pace of the podcast on a weekly basis or even more extreme following our tweets where we kind of push that stuff through. Anything else that you've seen out there, Rich? Uh, you know, one of the things that I'll um, that's starting to gain some momentum is a little effort within. It's actually a bunch of people within DX. Uh, Matt Veloso has kind of headed this up, but even John Shuchuk, who's one of I think eleven uh, distinguished engineers at Microsoft. That's like the highest technical position you can really reach within Microsoft as a distinguished engineer. We, Like I said, we don't have many of them, but he's actually been working on this too. Is This is a side project called Curve.js, and and ultimately, uh, it's it's out on GitHub, and it's, it's basically a, a set of JavaScript. It's built with TypeScript as well, but uh, JavaScript libraries to work against uh, Azure Active Directory and the Microsoft Graph. So it was really meant to... St- greatly simplify the process of authenticating and then working with the Microsoft Graph. In a lot of ways, I think that stuff's pretty easy as is. Um, You know, we certainly, if you're doing things, if you're using like Angular 1, you know, we have great modules you can plug in to make it easy. But uh, you really should maybe take a look at at Curve.js. Just, uh, it's not an official Microsoft thing. It's really... We've gone around and, and showed this to developers. They've been amazed. It takes like like one line of code, I would call strongly typed JavaScript way of traversing the graphs detail. Um, it is something that's gaining a lot of momentum. A lot of interesting plans around this, like getting into the UI side of things and fabric. And so, again, it's it's something worth looking at. It's definitely you know, Microsoft for support if you have trouble using this, whereas something that it is, I think, pretty neat and handles a lot of the feedback we get around it. And uh, talking of like more smaller code samples, not to kind of push it as a not a great thing, but in terms of like a discrete way of just showing the power of Outlook add-ins, GIF Me, which um, has actually been written by uh, Joe Martella, um, and there is another contributor on here, which I'm guessing might be, oh, it's Seth Grossman, okay, which is uh, Joe's boss. 
And uh, GIF me is essentially a way of when I'm composing a mail, um, a task pane comes up on the uh, right-hand side that is using Giphy, which I, I'd never heard of before, but apparently it's the place where all the cool kids go to go get animated GIFs. And you can actually embed them directly into your email just by clicking on the GIF, which I guess would be useful for... Uh, well, it's a good sample, but it's useful for the teenagers that use animated GIFs. Do you use animated GIFs, Rich? Is this your way of proving that you're younger than you are? Yeah, I use them on occasion. It's quite a bit on the social conversations, but... And this one is using NPM, Bower, Gulp. It's a nice sample there in Outlook. So if you're wanting to have a play there, I'd certainly have a look. It used the Yeoman Generator, which is great, because that's the pet project I've been working on. And as a segue into that, the Yeoman Generator this week, um, I finally got a chance to review the code by Jason Johnston, who is on the Outlook engineering team. Um, he went and made a, a PR, which took a while because we had a few things to work out. And if you go to the PR and the actual issue in GitHub, you can see the discussions that we had. We tried to do it as publicly as possible. We've now got Outlook adding command support in the Yeoman Generator. So when you go and create the scaffolding uh, for an Angular app, in, inside of uh, Outlook add-ins, you'll actually be able to have all the scaffolding there already for ribbon commands inside the the mail read or inside the Outlook home screen and, and so forth. So um, something that you have to do now for the Office Store with Outlook add-ins, and I'd recommend it from a discoverability perspective with Enterprise if you're building them anyway, because um, I've noticed actually with our internal stuff with Microsoft that when things are deployed, I'll see certain things just show up in the ribbon where Microsoft as a company has decided to deploy this Outlook add-in, um, whereas before I'd have to have had to gone into my add-ins to see it deployed. Now I can see the icon directly in the ribbon. So it's a great way of kind of getting exposure for your add-ins uh, in a corporate place, but also um, in the office store as well. So um, there's some more things coming to the generator soon as well, because we actually have Word, Excel, and PowerPoint adding commands that we announced in preview at uh, the Connect event last year. So I'm working with that engineering team to get the Yomi generator. In, um, now we've kind of got the sub-generator built for adding commands. We're then going to extend it from Outlook to Word, Excel, and PowerPoint as well. And then one other one was the Manifold JS, which um, there was a team that reached out to me via DXorg. Manifold.js is it's the simplest way to create hosted applications across platforms and devices. It's available on NPM, so you just install it using NPM G minus G uh, Manifold.js. And essentially, it's a Node.js app. And what it allows you to do is build an application uh, for an any app platform, whether it's a Windows 10 app or for a Mac or so forth. And the nice thing is, it's actually just about to put into preview um, this this notion of building an Office add-in through it as well. So we're going to get him on the show to talk in a bit more detail once it's shipped. But if you are looking for um, some new frameworks to kind of poke around in, this Manifold.js is actually pretty simple. And it's got a three to four minute video on there um, that explains how that works for building an app once. And they actually use kind of Cordova to Polyfill where the platform doesn't support hosting of certain apps as well, which is neat. So speaking of DX, man, I, I tell you what, one of my DX colleagues has been on a, a blogging terror lately. I mean, he's making Waldeck look like he's sleeping, I think, because <laughs> which is like impossible to do. But Simon Yeager's been on a tear. He's, he had three different posts this week, um, all that kind of are, are in kind of different spectrums of 
development on the Office 365 platform. So he did a, a post that kind of summarizes development around Outlook add-ins, so building mail add-ins and, and where you integrate and what you can do in those. So talking about the different types of, of mail add-ins like read and compose. And it provides a really nice kind of really good 100 level getting started. Here's the templates. Here's the different things that you might do and, and how you work with those. Um, on a kind of a, a similar add-in note, he, he did a posting on publishing Office add-ins to the Office Store. So a lot of a lot of us may have gone through that process of building add-ins, but you know I find that you know when I ask people, hey, have you actually published one? It's not as many as you you might expect. And so he kind of walks you through some of the background screens and things like that that you may normally never get to see, um, especially if you've gone, if you haven't gone through and actually done a submission. So it talks about how you might price it and do different things like that. Um, I've, I've done a handful of, of add-ins and, and apps that we I've, I've deployed before. So this is something that I've been through, but if you haven't, this at least gives you a, a, f- a feel for what you need to be prepared to provide. Um, and so it's a good post that walks through that. And then finally, on a completely kind of separate thread, uh, Simon put together a good post talking about authentication in the new converged model, or, or we call a lot of people call this the V2 app model with Azure Active Directory. And so there's a, a number of different things around how you do one of those new authentication flows. But the great thing is, is that the, the Microsoft graph is already supporting a number of, of different endpoints with that converged app model. So we support a lot of the, the mail-based services like mail, calendar, and contacts, and also OneDrive. So imagine I wanted to work with files. We could, you could actually define one of these new V2 apps. A single app definition could both serve up customers that are in OneDrive for business, but also OneDrive consumer, depending on what account they use to sign in with. And so he walks through that and it's a, it's a good overview of, of what's new in there. I find it really useful to have other people explain concepts because for me, like my mind works in a certain way. And when we do the training material, often a lot of the training material is aligned with that. And I know you go through and review it and sometimes we adjust some of the ways we explain things. Um, But also I find it useful for people that are not in our team to do that, like Simon and some of the others, because it allows me to kind of understand, oh, actually that's a really, that's a much better, clearer, concise way of doing that. So I I love reading these blog posts because it just makes it, really good to understand how other people talk about these things and how they teach other people too. So um, it's great to have these people blogging. Uh, and another great example of that is Elio Struth, um, who actually did one on the Office UI fabric around the responsive grids. I don't know if you've seen this post yet, Rich, but um, it's really neat. He, he kind of highlights the style documentation on dev.office.com slash fabric slash styles. But he's actually got some screenshots in there of kind of like what an add-in would look like in small and medium and large with screenshots showing essentially the code is the same um, both on a device but also um, in a Mac browser as well. And, and so it's really cool to kind of get that understanding and the table information he has there as well. So if you're doing anything with Fabric, this is a really good use um, for that as well. And then um, Stefan Bauer, who had actually made some pull requests to Office UI Fabric 
um, has also put together handling the table component of its UI Fabric 2, um, transforming it into a real table and manipulating some of the CSS and how to reuse that and get a responsive behavior as well. Um, so that's really neat too. I, and it's a really good read. Again, he's got lots of really solid screenshots in there. I want to know what these guys are using for blog editors because I, I find that the peop people that have got lots of images in their things, they're using something like Live Rider or so forth because the images really make a difference. You can tell the people that just write directly in a web browser because they're the ones that don't have any images in their posts. Um, I need to reach out to Stefan and ask about that. But that's a really good post if you want to like learn how to use the table component of Office UI Fabric 2, which I know um, Waldeck is working on for Andrew Connell's open source project, the NG Office UI Fabric, which we talked about in last week's show. So I'm excited to see how they do that wrapped around Angular 2. Well, I guess one of the last ones I'll, I'll bring up is uh, we the Office Dev Show on Channel 9 has been quiet for a while. Uh, during the holidays, it kind of went on a lull. But uh, I did have a chance to go into the studio with Sonia last week, and we uh, recorded a few new shows on getting started. So we've done this long getting started series where we've showed you how to get started with things like add-ins, get started on things like the uh, Microsoft Graph, uh, this this week, we posted a show on getting started building native iOS apps uh, with Office Graph. I'm sorry, not the Office Graph, the Microsoft Graph. And this happens to be a Swift sample. I've done a few posts on doing iOS development. I'm a Swift guy. I, I don't... Uh, I, Objective-C gives me a headache trying to uh, deal with all the separation of uh, your header and M files. But uh, this is a Swift sample, and it's pretty simple. You know, 30 minutes from nothing, you can have a working uh, iOS app that connects to the Microsoft Graph. So check it out. It uses the new uh, Graph SDK that we have for iOS that um, we need people to, you know, put it to the test because it's in preview right now. Um, and, and this is the best time to collect feedback on that SDK. You need a haircut, man. <laughs> I do, I do. And actually, are you drinking vodka? Is that what's in that cup? I noticed this is an unbranded cup. No, no. I've, I've always told when we do these recordings, we can't have any sort of like logos or anything. So I, uh, I just always pour my water into a, uh, into a clear cup. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, um, look, we've got uh, Chris McNulty on the show this week to talk about Power Apps, um, which are in a private preview right now. And um, it's, it's a really interesting show, and we want to try and get the SharePoint guys on here a bit more. Um, Chris is actually quite relatively new to that team. And so um, it's been a good exercise to kind of get him kind of kind of warmed up to the podcast that we do here. And as I say, like when I, we've heard feedback that you want to hear more about SharePoint and this power up session is kind of tied and related to SharePoint too. So we'll, we'll certainly get a more like Mark Cashman and Bill Bear back on the show as well to talk about their stuff and Ruben about OneDrive too. So um, I hope you enjoy the show and thanks for jumping on the intro, Rich, and um, we'll speak to you next week. Cool. Okay, so I'm here in Building 37 with Chris McNulty. Welcome to the show, mate. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to Microsoft. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild and crazy ride. So, how, what day are you on now? Are you, are you still counting the days, or is it getting to the month? Can oh, we're to the month. This is my fourth month. Yeah. So I joined here last October. Um, I have been dividing my time between the east and the west coast ever since. Um, I was a SharePoint MVP for a number of years prior to coming on board, having worked as a CTO at Dell Software and High Software and a couple of other places. Yeah. Um, I've been working with SharePoint for. 
gosh, 16 years at this point. So it's real, really exciting to be able to join the team and look at how we work on the next generation of these solutions. So you're in the team with the uh, usual suspects, Mark Cashman, Bill Bear. Some more suspect than others. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Ruben Krippner is Absolutely. the one drive guy. Seth and Patton. And Seth Patton being your boss. And right. Aaron Rimmer, who um, is fairly new to the team, I guess, in terms of the public facing, but um, right. is doing a lot with you guys as well. So it's a cool team to join and, and kind of be that SharePoint OneDrive product manager. Right. It's a... it's um. It's also a very interesting time to come on the team because SharePoint, I think it's fair to say, had matured a couple years ago, and um, a lot of the focus had been on kind of sustaining that plateau. Um, things are different, and, you know. As as you know, Jeff Teeper rejoined the SharePoint OneDrive team as the um, CVP over all of that. There's a ton of new investment and new energy, and there's a bunch of innovation that we're bringing out over the next year, you know, look, you know, pivoting around the upcoming release of SharePoint Server 2016 and what we're doing with hybrid in the cloud and beyond. So um, really, really fascinating time to be here. Yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. And how are you enjoying the sun in Redmond? <laughs> you know, I'm from Boston, man. Um, you know, Seattle has rain, Boston has weather. So yeah, I've, I've been feeling sorry for everyone on Facebook posting the snowmageddon photos. We didn't actually the last storm. We did not do bad. Like you know, New York and DC were hammered, close yeah. to three feet. We hit about three inches. Yeah, I've seen ducks. Um, who's yeah previous colleague at Point, and he was standing up in the snow, and it was kind of basically at his waist. Now he's he's a small guy, so it's going to look big anyway. But right, it, it didn't look much fun. Yeah, I don't want to brag, so don't, don't tell anyone in Washington or New York, but it took me almost 45 minutes to clear my driveway. <laughs> you just with a flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we, we're wanting to get you on the show because your responsibilities uh, from a SharePoint perspective are kind of quite broad compared mm-hmm. to some of the other guys in the team that own kind of distinct areas of capability within collaboration. Broad and broad and very, very shallow. Yeah. And one of them is Power Apps. Right. And so what is Power Apps? So Power Apps is an innovation that was originally developed by the Azure team, looking at um, the challenge of business applications. Microsoft for years has been a leader in providing tooling to build professional applications um, Visual Studio being probably the most important tool that's out there for how do I create rich, full-featured professional applications. There's this middle ground of business applications, and they, looking at some of the industry data, um, the backlog of more lightweight applications um, is massive in most organizations. So what's a lightweight application? Frequently, they're things that are designed to last days or months, but perhaps not years. So the massive transactional systems of record, systems of support, those professional applications, they garner appropriately the most attention. But the um, event-based application, you know, you're bringing 50 people together to do a week of planning. Um, how do I set up applications to allow people to collaborate and share data most effectively there? Or looking at um, quarterly or annual processes, things like budgeting. It's those mid-range business processes that really kind of fall by the wayside. Right. And so the mission of Power Apps is to create a tool set to allow professional developers and information workers to be able to create those applications in a much more streamlined fashion to deal with that backlog. 
and it's usually where kind of the IT department doesn't have this massive bag of budget for these small things that individual teams want to use. Their IT budgets are more for kind of things that are all company or all divisions of a company. Right. And so typically it's left up to that individual team to go out and either build it themselves or find a dev team externally to outsource to go and build Mm-hmm. That particular system, which costs costs a lot of money, right? And so, I mean, Microsoft and you know other companies have had systems in play for a long time that kind of catered to this in terms of uh, you know forms products like InfoPath. Um, I know a lot of companies run out of Excel just because it's just easy to do those calculations. But then, from a non-structured way, you also get things like OneNote, where, um, like me at the moment, planning my wedding in OneNote. Like I'm not mm-hmm. going to build a computer system to do it, but you know, having sections in a OneNote and throwing all that unstructured data um, helps us to plan. But I think this is that middle ground where they want a little bit more control on how that data is captured and how they can report on it at that level. And also admitting that you have a little less control over how people want to consume that data. So when it was a much more constrained world where you really only need to worry about the browser experience um, or the rich client experience, InfoPaths is a fantastic solution in those spaces. But increasingly, realistically, in a bring-your-own-device world, there's iOS, there's Android, there's all of the Windows 10 devices and so forth. Um, the mission for Power Apps is being able to create a design service that lets you uniformly deploy apps, especially with those devices. That's a place where, um, especially building mobile apps is one of the key hiring gaps. It's one of the hardest sets of skills to find in the market today, especially if you're looking at the mid-sized enterprise um, that isn't already building commercial software for mobile devices. How do I create a way that I, without having to go get um, people who are deeply skilled in iOS and separately deep, deeply skilled in Android, create one application experience that even a non-programmer can use something to deploy to right. kind of platform. And tweak and change over time without having to go re-engage a pro developer to do it. Right. So the interesting thing about Power Apps is it's, you know, it's, it's been baked in the Azure experience. So right. a lot of the key plumbing that you'd want to use in a mobile-first, cloud-first world, the ability to use things like Azure Active Directory to be able to create one centralized repository of who's accessing the applications, what the applications are, the ability to tap into those processing engines for being able to run those applications and create the interfaces is all being supplied by Azure. And the mission for Power Apps is not just to talk to information that lives in Azure, but to be able to exchange information with the broadest range of possible sources, whether that's premises-based traditional line of business data um, or other SaaS services, whether they're Microsoft or not. So whether it's in Dynamics or Salesforce or needing to interface with public providers like a Facebook or a Twitter or um, SAP, Power Apps has connectors that allow you to deal with all those data sources. And again, it's a business application source. So interestingly enough, one of the principal sources of business data in the world today is Office 365 and SharePoint. So that's one of the major missions for Power Apps is how do, how do we harness that rich catalog of enterprise data that's living in those SharePoint lists and those Office repositories to create a design experience that lets me publish that data and be able to interact with that data in, on a mobile device anywhere in the world. And when was Power Apps announced? Because it, it's still in preview. It's not a full release product, but yes. Right. So Power Apps was announced 
November 30th last year at um, the Convergence event in Europe. It is in limited preview right now, ramping through about 100 enterprise customers and a bunch of other testers around the world. Um, That preview program is going to be expanding um, throughout calendar year 2016 as we get closer to general availability date, um, which is not disclosed, but can't come soon enough. Yeah. And so the idea of this phase is really to kind of get that feedback, see what people are building on it, and start to kind of adjust the product to be right fit for market once they do the, the full GA. Right. So, you know, it's a little hard to, to, to walk the audience through what a power app is without visuals, but power apps really it's impo- is an umbrella term for two things. First is the end user experience, the form, the user interface, being able to quickly mock up a, a place where I can browse data, um, enter new data, look at results, and so forth. It also has an orchestration engine, which is called Logic Flows, which is the ability to, to um, take that, you know, if this, then that, which I, I hate pronouncing it. I always want yeah. to say if to test. But being able to do non-code orchestration of those events. If you see something in Twitter that looks like this, I want you to capture the data, trigger a form, send someone an email, let someone approve it, and then take further processes on that. Whether that's and that's an orchestration that can invoke not just office data, but any of the data sources that I mentioned earlier. Right. So the the IT organization essentially creates all those hooks into the different services it needs, and then that there those services that are available for an IW to then go and create those power apps that connects to those services and, and decides how they do the business processes on top. Right. I mean, there's an. Ex- to be, there's an existing set of hooks yeah. that come in the product. And that was kind and, of based on the fact that these logic apps, the if-then-else if type flow, had already right. been around before Power Apps was even introduced. Right. So the reason why I'm getting into the idea of the, um, the logic flows, logic flows are one of the things, again, baked on Azure. They're built on top of the um, Azure logic app services that are yeah. out there. So we're being very careful about how we ramp up that preview because yeah. we want to make sure that we have sufficient capacity and forecasting to give everyone a great experience. Right, right, right. Um, if we had opened the world into Logic Apps last year, um, the initial experience would not have been great because we weren't set up for that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, being able to ramp the preview is kind of getting us a better forecasting, understanding what the workload is going to be. All of those services are coming with a result of being a Power Apps customer. And, and I've seen a lot of the Power Apps evangelists over in the Azure side of the house, because you're kind of representing from the office right. kind of story, um, showing from a pro dev side, you know, if you've got an API app already in Azure, um, it's very easy to go and then generate these logic connect logic app connections over, mm-hmm. and then Power Apps can consume those. So if, if you've already started to kind of buy into the architecture of um, having APIs that are deployed as API apps in the Azure service, right. and then you've got a web application that's consuming those, it's very, very easy now to then have that API app consumed by both the um, logic flows and then obviously then Power Apps on top of that as well. Right. So um, it's something that progressively makes sense if your organization is already investing heavily in Azure. But I think some of the, the things I was really amazed about, which I know we've demonstrated the convergence, was this notion of, um, from a data source perspective, as you say, it can connect to a lot of different services. But one of the key ones is SharePoint mm-hmm. and custom lists. And do you want to talk through what kind of support there is now in that preview and and why you think that's beneficial to customers? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, one of the 
places where SharePoint, to be frank, as it sits today, is a little bit lacking is with mobile experience, in that there are ways that you can trim the page down, but you don't have a truly um, responsive design experience that takes advantage of all of the things that a mobility platform can do. Power Apps is designed to let you capture that, you know, recognizing that if you're looking at it from a mobile-first perspective, there are some things that my smartphone can do that my web browser isn't really built to do. And that means as I'm capturing data, I can automatically be location-aware, I can capture images, and be able to supplement all those things into a SharePoint list. Uh, many organizations have processing that's tied to SharePoint custom list data today. Right. Um, there's a long history of being able to interface it with things like workflow, being able to write, uh, sorry, uh, with InfoPath workflows that are, whether you're talking about SharePoint Designer, if you want to, or all the way on through to kind of fully orchestrated workflows that were authored inside of Studio. Um, Power Apps is able to tap into all of that, right. being able to add information into that same environment, but extend the user experience into a mobile platform means if I've already harnessed my proper approval workflows or um, review processing, notifications, if those are all existing, already there, just tied on the information in the list, Power Apps is coming in as just another customer that can interface with that data and be able to um, declaratively trigger those events so classic workflows can run, as well as if you need to wire up events that are going to say, if this ever happens, put a Facebook post out or... Yeah do something in SAP, all of those connectors are there for the IW to be able and, to. And even, like, we, we've got a few systems at Microsoft that we use where it's just read, and it's just it's just easier to consume on a mobile device mm -hmm. in a read form. And if it's that easy to kind of build that list view of that data that's in SharePoint but have it natively on my Android device really quickly um, deployed, you know, it's a nice way of servicing it rather than necessarily going into the web browser version of that list or... Right. Um, that document library as well. So that's I, I find that quite powerful too to yep. have the the native things like notifications on my mobile app trigger when new items come on that list that you know obviously the Power Apps can hook into. Yeah, the thing about you know as we were talking earlier about those massive transactional systems and on down to you know th those competitive differentiators. Can we deploy apps that are designed to run over a process for a few months? If an application's life cycle is going to be measured in days or weeks, then the currency of that data is probably even more important than it is in an annual system. Right. And so at point of consumption, the truth is we all have those devices with us. So it's more places where I can interface with the data if I happen to be, you know, crossing campus. And there's a quick request, you know, can I um, review a customer presentation Here's here's the information about it. Being able to look at that quickly and respond, you know, while I'm on my feet, as opposed to waiting until I have to get back somewhere and plug in. We have a pretty different lifestyle here. Like I'm going to jump between five buildings today. Yeah. But I must admit, the other day, and everyone does it. Like we're yeah. an IT company. They walk around with their face in their phone. They don't look up. You know, if the door is wide open and someone comes in with that badge, no one cares because they don't email on their phone. I did actually see someone nearly fall in Lake Bill the other day. It's so a late bill is between building one and four. Yep. And I know you have to come over from 37 to one to come and see us. And he was totally heads down on his phone. And he was obviously doing something kind of really engaging and just didn't see that the problem was there. And I yelled out. I was like, well, guy, hey, stop. 
and he looked up right at the last minute and like was about two steps away from going in. It it does get really ubiquitous. Like at, at the gym last week, I went in. It's a funny room. It's half spin bikes, half yoga mats. <laughs> so I went in. It's it's dark and there's a woman sitting there, legs crossed, hands on her knees, staring down. I thought it was an intense meditation. <laughs> and she's not. And oh, she's got her phone on her feet, Netflix or right. reading email or something. Right. I don't know how people do that on the treadmill. I see that all the time on the treadmill, reading email when they're running. It's like my eyes would. You do that too. Yeah. Yeah. No. The gym is the gym for me. I can't. I can't multitask like that. Yeah. But it's true. Like we have these things on us all the time, and if we can allow information to be accessible that easily, and Power Apps engages that, not just from SharePoint but also other areas as well. Right. I know there was another really cool demo we saw, which was um, as well as being able to like to create create a Power App based on the schema of a custom list in SharePoint or create a power app and then it provision the list and in, in that schema based on whatever information you're collecting in the power app. You could do the same thing to a, a SQL table, but you could also do it to an Excel um, file as well. Right. But what was neat was if there was an existing Excel file with like a sheet with a certain number of rows and columns and so forth, it would automatically create the power app based on you pointing at the Excel file and, and build your CRUD form in power apps. Right. So there's a lot of really nice things that can enable YWs to kind of get going with these mobile applications. And, and I think the nice bit is is that this this kind of IT, IW pro dev story of got ping out of, you know, that there'll be enough governance and control around it because it is in the Azure Management Studio when you go into the portal. Right. Um, so IT can kind of monitor, as you said earlier on, who has access to the app, who has been using the app, um, who's frequently using it? Where's the data flows coming from, and who's got security and so forth? Secure, who's who's allowed to invoke the the flows that are set up? Right. It's important to also because um, this is one question I, I, I get a lot. How does it interact with other Office products? And you mentioned you know, Excel. Absolutely, there's use cases where you know for whatever reasons, I, rather than capture something in a more structured environment, I might want the information to be there in Excel. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because. I want to send the information to my mother-in-law. I love OneNote. Who, yeah. needs, a, who needs a real spreadsheet? Right. Um, so the one application I get a fair number of questions about how this interacts with is InfoPath. Which I can understand. Like right. it's a forms product that's been around for a long time right. and you know, Power Apps is new. And really, it, it's a mobile forms product is why I'm I'm describing it. Right. But it's, how are you doing that in, in what you do? Because technically, do you own InfoPath as well? Yeah, so InfoPath you know, has been around... Uh, since I think 2003 was when XML Docs was originally integrated into SharePoint. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be around for a good long time. When we announced last week, InfoPath support's been extended to 2026. So um, you'll be 25 then, right? Ah! <laughs> yeah, the, for all the American electoral craziness about who our next president is, keep this in mind. If this current round of, of candidates is elected and re-elected, They'll be out of office, but pa- but InfoPath is still going to be running. Let's just keep that in mind. <laughs> that won't make sense to anyone outside of America. Although I have noticed on Facebook, like I throw things out there about the political debates and so forth, and I see a lot more engagement from people in Australia and England than I ever would have done face-to-face discussions or at a bar talks about these things, but maybe it's because I'm getting a little bit older and more mature. But it seems everyone has an opinion on this now, I guess because the U.S. is... So involved in everyone else's business, but and given the 
current round of candidates, it's hard not to form an opinion about that. <laughs> well, there is. Yeah, That's I mean, all I will say about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's going to be around for a long time. Um, th- I mean, it's in maintenance mode, though. There's there's no new There's features. no new release. SharePoint, 20, SharePoint 2016 is not coming with a new version of InfoPath in it. Right. But the product is still in active support and will be for 10 more years. Yeah. There are a number of scenarios InfoPath has been excellent at covering right now, which realistically... Power Apps is not built to cover. Yeah. That web experience is not something that Power Apps is doing. Yeah. There are offline experiences, structured, rich document experiences. That's InfoPath's world right now. Yeah. It's yeah, important yeah. to understand the mix of those tools. There's a lot of business applications out there. There's a lot of need for more business apps, and we're going to be continuing to supplement that story for Power Apps, for InfoPath, and for SharePoint. As you move throughout the year. Yeah, because it's funny, like, you know, if you think about the ways you can do it, like we talked about Excel, InfoPath, OneNote, Word to a certain degree can be used as a formless product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, SharePoint Lists was also one where you could customize a SharePoint form directly in there. And then I think in 2010, we introduced the InfoPath would be that designer right. that allows you to customize that. Right. Um, you know, there's lots of other ways that you can kind of do this, like, forms capture. And I think, and as a pro dev, Although sometimes it's great to be able to do that at the IW level, sometimes there's this 80-20 rule that where InfoPath couldn't quite do what you wanted it to do, and then the pro dev went and tried to do it by you know deploying custom bits to it, still couldn't do it, so then they had to rewrite the form as a whole web application anyway. So I think every 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 product has its fit in terms of a use case of where it makes sense, and it's just good for people to understand what the limitations are of those products and where would be the right fit based on what they're starting out to do. You know, Power Apps remains kind of, it's a, it's an initial release product. Yeah. There is a deep end of that swimming pool of complexity in that an information worker can do something that's fairly productive, but if then you were looking to have a really complex form interaction, if these three things change, do this validation and reformat that, information workers use is going to be out of luck there. There's yeah. definitely a need for pro devs to step in beyond just doing rapid prototyping. Um, the ability to get into that level of data interaction in the forms design um, is something where the pro dev may get called on to step in as part of grow up story. The same way that those logic flows, if they need to be scaled up and become much more robust. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, power apps can be the front end to one API app that's doing a heap of, complexity, transactional complexity in the background as a .NET hosted thing in Azure. It doesn't yep. doesn't have to be sequential on a very discrete step. It could be going off and doing a very complex process and coming back and letting the power up know, okay, I'm done now. I've gone over to SAP and done. Mm-hmm. You know, a month's worth of crunching and now it's back up ready for you to see. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, from a pro dev side, my my thought would be don't be scared of it. I think you need to be aware of what it is. And where, as a pro developer, you fit into that story, I think inevitably with the way that we'll go, Microsoft are going to go overall with a marketing push of Power Apps is that it'll be put in the hands of the IWs and the IT pros. So as a developer, this is going to come across your radar as that preview program expands. You know, the other thing that's really important, you know, we said the word SharePoint, so at some point we didn't say the word governance on this podcast too. Oh, don't. But seriously, if you think about this, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. The fact that you can choose a whole bunch of data repositories out there 
if you leave that decision solely in the hands of the IW, um, that's also a place where IT needs to come in and provide some guidance. Right, right. Like being able to scale up, uh, scale out a Power App with Excel as its backend is a much harder pr- premise than if you said from get go, from the get go, I want this to be in a SharePoint list because I also want to be able to have an InfoPath experience here, and I want to be able to take this versioning at a rote level, and, right? Yeah. You know, or in some cases, if that needs to be a repository that lives in SQL Azure, right? Or and then SAS there's a scale problem with the SharePoint list. And then when you look at SQL, like there's there's definitely grow-up stories as you go through those decisions, which the IW won't be able to do without having their handhold for sure. Right. And to be fair, IWs need to be coached about things like DevOps and Dev Test Prod models. And yeah. You know, all of the usual complexities that the so-called citizen developer gets into when they start saying anyone can build an app. So so where can we find out about this? Is um, is there much information already available, considering this is a kind of a closed preview at the moment? It's a closed preview, if you, um, but if you go to um, www.powerapps.com, one word, um, you can sign up for the preview, and as additional slots open up throughout, 2020, throughout 2016, um, you'll be invited to start working with that preview model. Okay. Powerapps.com. And, I mean, you, preview, no GA announcement date at all right now. Um, no GA announcement date yet. Okay. So, and then in terms of other things that you've been working on outside of Powerapps, what else are you, are you SharePoint all up as well? Like, or is this very specifically Powerapps that you're looking um, at? So, I cover a range of things inside SharePoint. Um, um, forms and workflow being keeping me fairly busy, but an additional ECM and what we're doing for document libraries and, um, you know, that kind of core workload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. We've invested a lot over the years at things. You know, I joke about this with Bill Bear because this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Like, hey, we've optimized blob storage on the back end to get an 8% improvement in page load time, and that's great engineering work to do, but it doesn't have the, the, the wow factor right. that we have to remember that despite all the other things SharePoint does, using it for storing and finding documents is the reason most of us came to it in the first place. Yep. And that piece of and the end the user... And probably the biggest reason you use it anyway, right. in, in all reality. Right. And so that piece of the end user experience you know, is important. SharePoint is not just a web front to a file share, but the ability to version and manage and orchestrate and collaborate effectively, it that's the real power of the platform. Yeah. So that's key. It still kills me that I see people internally putting like underscore draft on file names in SharePoint document libraries, but it's the way of the world I guess. Or emailing full documents around for Yeah, clients. well fortunately kind of Outlook has some functionality there to kind of stop that idiot 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 attachments. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there across the whole of Outlook with that thing too. Yeah, and um, and then I guess the other thing there is is that with competition, it's bred that we need to kind of keep up with what we're doing as well. And right. I think with Jeff T becoming back in that role, like internally, the energy is insane here at the moment in terms of driving towards the what we're focusing on to to announce. And I'm really excited to see how the SharePoint community kind of take on what we're going to be talking about and, and share, share like what we're thinking about with SharePoint moving forward. Right. Cause I know for a long time it's like SharePoint is dead. Long live SharePoint. And genuinely with Jeff back, it is definitely well and truly kicking. And um, I'm really excited to see all this stuff go out the door. But it's very much to be fair. It's also SharePoint um, being reinvigorated under Satch's oversight. Yeah. And the focus on 
partners is really important. You know, one of the things kind of before we completely transit forms and workflow space, you know, there's there's a mission for Power Apps, there's a mission for InfoPath. There's still a, and will always remain a fantastic mission for our partners, our ISV partners, who brought forms and workflow solutions forward too. And, you know, we know that our customers invest in investing in those solutions is also investing with us. And likewise, recognizing that the days of a monolithic world um, are well behind us. Yeah. So customers are going to have Amazon services out there and Salesforce and use of Box. And a lot of the focus is how, do, how am I able to let the enterprise you know, use our solutions for best of breed and then exist and interact with other repositories that we may have chosen over time. Yeah, and it's exciting. Next week we have what we call a, a dev kitchen, which I was part of when I used to be at Avpoint. About three years ago we came up to Redmond and we, there was all this new stuff that hadn't even been shipped in a, in a preview that they wanted us to get in the room and we had lab computers and essentially played with this new stuff and they just wanted to see how we work with it and where where things were confusing and taking our suggestions back and um, so we've got one of those next week with about 45 partners uh, from all over the world actually coming in so I'm really looking forward to seeing what they think of a lot what, what they're getting shown yeah. but I think the difference here is is that when we were at the Dev Kitchen three years ago, although it wasn't shipped product, it was at the end of the three-year cycle. So it was like six months before the three-year drop. Right. This is kind of in this world where we're kind of always shipping and there's these MVPs that will be dropped out. And so we need as much feedback quickly as we can very early on in the process. Um, and, you know, We did it with the MVPs back in November where we were literally showing them just slides of what we were thinking. So now three months later, actually showing working um, product that they can give feedback yeah. on and actually start to build. So we get the partners to build their products on top of this new new stuff as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes too. It's interesting when you talk about the level of activity. There was a time in SharePoint's lifecycle where if we were here you know, a few months away from GA, the server product, where the engineering teams would already be winding down because all the features would be built and it's full speed ahead, like like the level of interest and stuff that we're rolling out across the board is higher than I've ever seen, you know, when I was on the outside of Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So how can people keep in touch with you socially? Like, you're, you're pretty noisy on the Twitters and stuff. Yeah, I'm at cmcnulty2000 on Twitter. Is 2000 the year you were born? Uh, no, it was, uh, <laughs> um, it was actually... A, debate with a member of my family who had set up uh, um, an M. McNulty 1000 so you did panel. And so I just did 2000 to say I was... Fair enough. Yeah. And do you blog still? I know you used to blog. ChrisMcNulty.net. Okay. I have an article on ECM I'm putting out later this week. Oh, good. So... That's, I'm impressed. When I first started here, like six months in, I'm like, there was nothing. The blog was an empty mess. Yeah. Trying to keep on there, and that's awesome. Yeah. So ChrisMcNulty.net. Yep. McNulty 2000. Yep. Plus the usual round of conferences, SP TechCon in Austin, SharePoint Fest. Um, Where's the SharePoint Fest? SharePoint Fest um, is coming up in Denver, yep. March 1st through 3rd. Okay. So, so straight after SP TechCon in Austin. Right after SP TechCon. Yeah, we're running, a, as you know, like the hackathon in Austin, so mm-hmm. that should be pretty cool on the Sunday to see how, how people go with Office add-ins and talking to the Microsoft Graph. It'll be interesting. You know, you and I know there's a couple of speakers that we know who've said that they're going to road trip from one to the other. Uh, are they really? The question is, will they all survive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to Austin. It's a fun place to go. Uh, yeah. But um, it's a good good chance for us to kind of get in contact with all the partners and customers and 
get a feel for where they are and what they're working on right now in the dev side as well. So it's uh, nice to get us out there on the roads, talk to people. Yes. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time, mate. Thanks a lot. We will Thanks most definitely get you back on the show once Power Apps is in GA and you can talk a bit more about what's there and getting started. And I'm sure there'll be case studies with customers by then right. and so yeah. forth so people can get an idea about the journey it's on as well. Oh, so the NFL draft is just three months away. So. <laughs> no Patriots, no Seahawks anymore, so we can just... Yeah, I did it. I wasn't even going to bring up Brady, but I mean, you just did, so... Yeah, the press is going crazy this week, blaming... Um, yeah, I did an initial Patriot flags the other day. I was yes. actually going to take it down. Um, Brady's blaming the Surface devices when it was actually the Wi-Fi disconnecting or something. But now, my, sis- my sister was asking me yesterday, like, how did that happen? What's... Yeah, you know, what's the word on campus? I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the service didn't stop him from throwing that many interceptions and getting sacked as much as he did. No, I think it was the it was clearly the Broncos' defense. That stopped that. <laughs> yeah, so. no, it should be a good Super Bowl. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Will it? I, I tremendous, it could be a total tremendous respect for Peyton, and it would be wonderful for his whole career to go out on top. Yeah, it would be awful if he goes. You know, on the downside the of a forty-six to seven loss. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Carolina are pretty strong at the moment, and actually, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about this on the show because and there will probably be a few people that just don't care about sport. But I've been really surprised people on Facebook in <coughs> Europe and in Australia are actually posting about that game on Sunday, like they were watching it, which means they're either up crazy time in the morning or at, while they're at work watching the game. So the NFL is. As much as they call it like football and try and overcome the fact that they're not quite as big as soccer, it is seeming to be that it's more of a worldwide sport than it ever has been recently. If you want to talk about sports to watch at odd times, do you have a pick for Djokovic Federer? Oh, you know what? I do not follow the tennis anymore. Okay. That would be a more international sport as well. Absolutely. I don't know anymore. Federer is a pretty good player, right? I mean, but he's getting uh, jo- a bit. Djokovic has been world number one for five years. Yeah, okay. Right? Where's that going? That's in Melbourne. Ah, okay. Australian Open. Wow, there you go. All right, well, we'll have to give, give tennis updates on the show as well as NFL updates too now. Well, I, the thing I like about the Australian Open from North America's perspective is you come back from Christmas, it's like bitter cold, there's snow everywhere. And then there's people and someplace, sweating. Someplace, you know, it's 110 degrees. Yeah, and people are Australia Day yesterday, yeah. everyone's, like my parents are posting pictures of them on the beach with yeah. beers on their day off, and yeah. there's me in rain driving home from work. So it's like, yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Yeah. And um, I will blame Brady for my little bit of a headache on Monday. Stupidly at the bar, we agreed to do a shot for every time Brady was sacked, which you know seemed like a really smart move at the time because we figured he might get sacked once. I think in total it was five or six sacks. Six sacks. Yeah, the tequila was going twenty-two headways. Good thing you didn't. Every time Brady gets hit, that would have been. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have been good. We would not have been doing this. So I won't be today. playing the sack game on the Super Bowl. That's for sure because yeah. I yeah. suspect that. Um, Manning's going to get sacked quite a bit. What about it? What about a drink every time Cam Newton dances? <laughs> <laughs> that actually could be pretty fun. <laughs> okay. Well, have a good rest of your day, mate. And um, as I say, we'll get you back on the show soon to talk about Power Apps and sure other thing. SharePoint things as well. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We are still looking for more show ideas. We've got a bit of a void coming up between when we can start announcing things that we'll talk about at Build Conference at the end of March. So if you're a partner and you've got a good story to tell about what you've built on top of our platform, 
or you're a developer doing stuff with open source like Andrew Connell and Waldeck Mastercars were doing last week, um, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and we can get you on the show. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.